Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. grateful to be here. And um, just, again, I say this often, but just the privilege that we have to gather together on a Sunday, to encourage each other, to look into God's Word, to worship together, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're so grateful for that and glad that you're a part of that with us. And so I want to say, uh, again, as we begin, we're um, continuing in our series called Overflow of the Hearts. And today we'll be looking at Psalm 24 um, that we'll, we'll, we'll go to here in a few moments. And there's Bibles in the seats or it'll be on the screen as well. As we look in the book of Psalms in this series, and we look and see um, a wide range of types of Psalms and types of prayers and types of things that were written, the Psalms reflect on the issues that we face in our daily lives and how we can look to Jesus in the middle of those things, right? And you, you may ask this morning, you may say, okay, how does the Bible, this really, really old book, right, how does it impact or have anything to do with my life Today, how does it address what I'm facing? How does it address what I'm going through? Because we've all been in those places where we're facing something and we're like, I don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically say, do this or don't do this. But how do we know that it is relevant to our lives? How do we know the Bible, that God understands what we're going through? But I'll tell you, it does. Here's why. Because God doesn't change, first of all. The God of the Bible is the same God today. He doesn't change. And secondly, we don't change as humanity, as people. We have the same issues, the same emotions, the same fears, the same anxieties, the same joys, the same things that people all throughout history have had. And those things might look different in different times, in different places, in different cultures, but the Bible helps us know who God is, what he's like, and it helps us understand who we are as humans. It helps us see our need for God. So we look at the Bible, we see that it under, the Bible knows, not the Bible knows, God knows what we go through. The Bible is relevant to our life today because it shows us who God is, helps us understand ourselves. So in the midst of that, you and I can be honest with God. He knows what you're going through. And that's what this series is all about, that we can let our hearts overflow to God. We don't, to, we don't have to be something we're not. We come to God and we simply say, God, I need you. Here's where I am. Here's what's happening in my life to overflow, our hearts overflowing to him. But sometimes the overflow of our hearts comes out in ways that we might not be able to like put into words, right? You ever like, you're just like, I don't know how to say it. I just know what I feel, right? Uh, and so sometimes we can't explain it, but we feel it in our lives. And it looks like this. We crave relationships, we, we want closeness and intimacy with others. We want significance. We want to make a difference in the world. Okay, how many grew up with that message? Like, you can make a difference in the world. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do all these things, right? Which is fine until people end up being on, like, TV, like, singing and talent shows. And you're like, you shouldn't be there because you've been told you can do anything you want, but you can't sing, right, or whatever it is, right? Um, and so... That's, you know, that can happen, but it comes down. We want to. We have that built into us that we want to impact the world. We want to make a difference in the world. 
We crave these things, right? Sometimes a little more like down to earth, a little simpler. We want good food, right? How many of like, yes, who would raise their hand and say, I just really like food this morning, okay? Uh, my hand is up. Abby and I sometimes watch food shows or cooking shows. And if you really stop, it's kind of weird to sit there and watch people cook and eat things. You're like, oh, that looks good, right? Oh, it really just makes you like, I think I want to go eat something, right? Um, I think that like if someone was to like teleport here from like a thousand years ago and they'd be like, why are you just watching people eat? This is not entertainment, right? Food is like sustenance. It's not entertainment. But we do that and they would probably be right. They would be like, you people are obsessed with food, right? Um, But in this, these cravings, these things that we have, we want to feel safe. We want to feel secure and healthy and content. We want to, whatever that is, you can fill in the blank there. We want to be happy, right? And that's not a bad thing. These are good things and things that are worth pursuing in our lives. But in the middle of all that, here's the real question. The real longing, I think, behind all of those things, all of those cravings, all of those desires, the real longing is this. We want to know, how do I get to God? How do I come into God's presence? How do I come into relationship with God? Because you and I were created by God to know and worship God. And every longing that we have is ultimately deep down a longing for him. And God gives us the gifts of relationships, of experience, and all kinds of things and ways that he blesses our lives and provides for us. But these things don't satisfy our hearts because we're created to know God. And deep in our hearts, we as humans are saying, how can I get to God? Some people may realize that's the question they're asking. Other people may not realize that's what they're looking for. That's the search that they're on. That's the journey that they're on, but they just continue to search and look in other ways. But deep inside, we are saying, how can I get to God? And our scripture uh, will deal with this today. How do we get to God? And the answer that I think you'll hear multiple times this morning is this. I don't think, I know, because I put it in my notes. The answer you'll hear this morning multiple times is this. The only way that you and I can enter the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. All right? You good? You awake? Everybody, if you need some coffee, go grab some coffee, and we'll keep going this morning, all right? So we're going to read Psalm 24 here in a moment, but I want to give some background and some context a little bit. Um, So this psalm would have been sung when entering the temple, often is what was called a, uh, a processional with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if I've lost you already, that's okay. The Ark of the Covenant was basically a box, right? And in it were a few things, the Ten Commandments, a few other things that were in the box that reminded the people of God's power and God's faithfulness, right? And in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And they would take it with them. It would go to battle with them. They would carry it. And there are all these specific ways of here's how it's carried and here's how it's cared for and here's who can carry it and all these things. And they would bring it back into the temple at different times. But it represented the very presence of God. And in the temple, it would be put in a place called the holiest place or the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And so this psalm is this idea of this processional almost like a parade, right, of this ark coming into the temple. And we'll see that here in a moment. This psalm was written in what can be kind of known as like a call and response, right? Have you ever seen like in military people like they're running and they're saying like whatever they say and then they answer. So it's this call and response idea where it kind of creates the feel of a conversation in this song and a feel of community where there's a question asked and then it's answered. So we'll see that as we read it. We also see this psalm as being what's called a messianic psalm. Now, hang with me. It points to 
the coming Messiah. A messianic psalm or a messianic scripture often will deal with something that's like immediately in front of them. So today, you know, if you were back in the time when this psalm was written, it had to do with the processional of the ark going into the temple. And yet it also points us to Jesus. It gives us a picture of who Jesus is, the coming Messiah. It pointed the Israelite people to a coming Savior. See, for us, we look back and we see what Jesus has done, that he came and lived and perfect life, then died on the cross and rose again, and we put our hope in him. And yet for the people, the Israelite people, for the people who lived before Jesus came, their hope was they looked ahead. They looked ahead to the the fact that God promised, and God was sending a Savior. God was sending a Messiah. And their hope was in a Redeemer, a Savior, who would come. And I was reading in a commentary this week, and it said this, the hope and expectation of a coming Messiah was prominent with the Israelite people. They didn't wonder if the Messiah would come. They took it for granted, and their only hope lay with a specially anointed one of God, the Messiah. Why? Because the Old Testament, the Bible, is filled with the promise of a coming person. When we call this psalm a messianic psalm, it's got imagery and points us to Jesus as the coming Messiah. And really, we've talked about this often, the whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible is one story telling us of God who created everything, and yet we have sinned against him, and yet God is redeeming people, and God has redeemed us through Jesus, and he is coming again to restore everything back to what he designed and what he intended. So when you read the stories in the Old Testament, they point us to a Messiah. They point us to a Savior who is to come. So in this this Psalm today, Psalm 24, we get a glimpse of Jesus and we get a glimpse of how we get to God. How do we get to God? We can only enter the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Let's read our passage together this morning. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We look at this psalm, three major parts that we see here. First of all, we see that God is creator. Secondly, we see that God is holy. And third, we see that God is the glorious king. So we're going to walk through those this morning. God is creator. We read verses 1 and 2, and here we see God is creator, that the earth is his. He has founded it. He has established it. That creation itself points to the glory of God. If you look, if you sit and watch a beautiful sunset, right, or if you're a crazy person who likes to get up really early and see a sun rise, right, I've seen a few, probably not as many suns- as sunsets, right, um, anybody a crazy person is like, no, I want to see the sun rise, right, 
Nobody. Okay, okay. With me, right? Or if you go to the ocean or see the mountains or maybe the desert or maybe all these different types of things, maybe a newborn baby or a really good meal. And here we go with food again. We're all going to be hungry by the end of the service, right? But we can look at the vastness of the universe or we can look at the complexity of the human body and see the beautiful and incredible design of God. We think about God as creator. Think about these things, right? If the earth was tilted on its axis just slightly one direction or the other from where it is, we would die, right? We would either burn up from the sun or we would freeze to death from being too far from the sun. It would change everything and we would die. The earth is put in a perfect position. If the level of gravity was different, even just by a degree or a tiny bit, I don't know how we measure gravity. I I don't know the, the, the measurement for gravity. But if it changed just a little bit, we would die, right? We would either like kind of float like we were on the moon or we would be like crushed by the weight of it right? It would be catastrophic for everything. The distance of the sun, the distance of the moon, the stars, our atmosphere, all of these things are precisely fine-tuned to support life. If you take that and go a whole lot smaller, you and I are made up of like 100 trillion microscopic cells. That's a lot, right? I'm not sure how many zeros that is, right? But those cells contain complex strands of DNA, and it's not random. It points to a creator, It points to a designer. So can we explain the complexity of the universe just by mere coincidence? I think that takes a lot of faith to do that. To say, oh, it's just coincidence that things are what they are, and we are what we are, and the world is what it is, the universe is what it is. That takes a lot of faith to believe that. Or we can explain the complexity of the universe by acknowledging that it was designed by a designer, by a creator. And this still takes faith, true. But it seems to make a lot more sense to say the beauty, the complexity we see in our own lives and the people around us and the world around us is done by a designer, by a creator. The Bible shows us that God is the creator of all things. He's the grand designer of the beauty we see in the world and the beauty around us. The beauty in the people we see sitting next to us today that God has created and designed us. He founded the earth. He established it. And this psalm opens by pointing to God, worshiping God as the creator. But what else does it say? Okay, we continue in verse, in verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, meaning and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. He made it. It's his. He owns the rights. He has the patent. He owns everything. Which means what? It means it's not ours We, like toddlers, we like to say, hey, that's mine. This is mine. This is, you know, these are my shoes. These are my things. These are, whatever it is, we like to say, it's mine, right? Have you ever heard a toddler? They're really good at saying that. And they learn it very, very early to say mine. But when we look at this psalm, we understand that everything belongs to God. Everything is his. And when that clicks, when we get that in our lives, here's what happens. We are prompted to be generous people. When we say, you know what, everything I have ultimately belongs to the Lord. Everything I have comes from Him. Every good gift is from the Father above. And when we understand that, it keeps us from holding tightly to our stuff and saying, how can I, how can I be generous with the things that God has given me? How can I be generous with the time that God has given me? How can I be, how can I be generous with the money that God has given me? When we understand that everything is his, it prompts generosity. It causes us to trust God, to say, well, it's yours. I can trust you. 
You made it. You designed it. And I can put my trust in you with all of the things that we need. And it causes us to live with open hands and saying, you know what? Everything belongs to God. Because if all we have is his, we can live with gratitude and generosity. We see in these first two verses, they point us to God as the creator. They point to God in awe and wonder that he is our great God. And this flows into our next point. We see this picture of a great and powerful creator God. And we say, how could I possibly know that God? How could I possibly be in his presence? How could we possibly come close to him? And so we'll move to our next point here. And we see again that it's through Jesus. The only way we can enter the presence of God is through Jesus. And point number two, that God is holy. So this middle section here, verses 3 through 6, start by asking the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It's saying, how can we get to God? Who can be in the presence of God? Who can get there? And it carries the sense of how could we possibly do this? How can sinful people be in the presence of God? And remember, this is kind of a call and response feel. And so if someone says in this psalm, someone says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And the answer comes, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or swear deceitfully. That idea of something that is false had this idea of idols, of idolatry, of things that were worthless, things that were inconsequential in life. He who does not lift up his soul to other things, he who doesn't give his life away to other things, but lifts up his soul to God. So in this, in this verse here, we have this, this standard that is set. Who can get there? Who can be in the presence of God? It's only the person who has clean hands and a pure heart who's not worshiping other gods, who's not worshiping other idols, who's not running off to other things. It's only those who are pure in heart and in speech and in actions who can come near to God. Clean hands and a pure heart. This is both inward purity in our hearts and outward purity in our actions and the holiness of our lives. And to be pure, to be clean, what God is calling us to is this idea of being unmixed, right? If you combine two things, it's no longer one thing, right? That's simple lesson for this morning. But for something to be pure, to be clean, is to be unmixed. Often at dinner time, our kids will drink milk, right? And they'll finish, they'll say, can I have some water? We'll say, yes, you can go get some water. And they'll just put water in the same cup with the milk, and so they come back with this, like, cloudy water. It's disgusting. It's not pure. It's not clean. It's mixed, right? This is the picture of impurity, of something that's not clean, something that's mixed together. If you do that, you're a weirdo, right? If you drink water out of a cup that had milk in it, that's weird. All right, so, but it's, it's to be mixed. But God is calling us to purity, to holiness, to cleanliness in our hearts and in our lives. To be clean is to be innocent, to be blameless. So we can stand back and say, okay, well, who has clean hands? And I would say, I don't, and you don't either. In our actions, in our lives, we have done things that have dishonored God, that have been harmful to other peoples. Are we completely innocent and blameless in our actions? No, no one is. No one is clean. We are sinful people. So we say, okay, who has a pure heart? I don't. And you don't either, right? No one is completely innocent and blameless in motives. No one is. And motives are a crazy thing, right? 
Because you can do good things with the wrong motives. You can even put on an appearance of being a really good person who helps people, who serves people, who's kind and generous and still have the wrong motives. We can do good things for selfish reasons. We can do good things. We can say, man, I, I want to I help people. I want to serve the community. Why? If we keep digging down in the layers of our own hearts, it's because we don't want to feel guilty for not helping people. And things become self-centered deep in our hearts. And my point in, the, in, in this is, yes, we should love people. We should serve people. We should do good things for people. But we have to understand that none of those things make us right with God. Because deep down in the very core of who we are, in our sin, in our rebellion, we're trying to preserve our own selves. And we're trying to make ourselves feel good about the things that we do. We are not pure in heart. We do not have clean hearts. We're sinful to our core, and even our attempts to do good things need to be redeemed and covered by the grace of God. Because God is concerned about purity of heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, when the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are who? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we get to the presence of God? The pure in heart. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And so again we ask, how do we get to God? If we don't have clean hands and we don't have pure hearts, how do we get there? And this question has a major impact on two things, on our eternity, on our, on our understanding of God, on our salvation. It also has a major impact in our daily lives because it will determine how we live and act and how we try to make ourselves okay with God. And it's easy to sometimes stand back and think, okay, I have heard this before. I'm sinful and I need Jesus. But don't tune out because this impacts every single moment of our lives. It's a question of our identity. How do we define ourselves? Where do we find our true selves? Because it says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And if you say, hey, I can. I'm pretty good. I've done good things. I, can, I, I think I'm good enough, right? I think I've done the right things, right? If that's our answer, that's pride. It's based on what I do. We're finding our identity in, hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. I do this. I keep this law. I do this thing. I, I think I can do it. I think I can ascend the hill of the Lord. I'm pretty good, right? But what will happen in our daily lives, if this is our identity, if this is our mindset, it will leave us striving, working, trying to earn our way to God. And when we do that, we'll either think, hey, I'm doing pretty good, and we'll become jerks, become prideful, and rude because we think, hey, I'm better than you. Or we'll say, I can't do this anymore, and we'll just give up, right? But it says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And it's pride to be like, I think I can. I'm pretty good, right? We're, li we're basing our identity out of what we do. But secondly, if you say, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And you say, I, I never could. There's no way I ever could. I'm not good enough. And you're basing identity. You're basing your identity out of the things that you have done in your past, and you say, I could never be good enough to get to God. I could never do it. And it leads to despair, because it's based on what we've done. This will leave us hopeless, and this will impact every day of our lives, because we'll either just say, I'm never good enough. And we live our life based out of saying, I'm not really loved by God. I'm not really good enough. But there's a way that goes in between these two things. The reality is this, that we cannot ascend the hill of the Lord on our own. 
There's only one who has done that, who can do that, and that is Jesus. And this is where we see in this scripture the promise of a Messiah, that Jesus was sinless. He had clean hands and a pure heart. And this is based on what Jesus has done. It's not based on, hey, this is what I think I can do. It's not based on, this is what I know I've done and I don't deserve anything. But we understand our identity in Christ, our identity in God, our gospel identity as my identity is based on what Jesus has done. It can't be based on what I've done. It's never good enough. It won't get me there. It's based on Jesus, that Jesus is the only one who can ascend the hill of the Lord. He is the only one who can get to God. He is the only one who is righteous. We look in verse 5 of our passage today. It says, talking about who can ascend the hill of the Lord. It says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and what? Righteousness from the God of his salvation. That righteousness comes from God. Being made right comes from him. That We understand that Jesus is the only way. The only way that you and I can enter into the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. And don't, don't gloss over this of understanding our gospel identity because day after day after day, we need to remind ourselves, I'm loved by God, not because of my goodness, but because of God's grace, because of his goodness. That he forgives our sin. He makes us new. We find our identity in him rather than finding our identity in what we do, what we've done, what we think we can accomplish. We find our identity in Christ. And we say, God is holy. We are not, and yet through Jesus, we are made holy. When we put our faith in him, we are made righteous to be, to ascend the hill of the Lord, to come into the presence of God. All right? Point number three, that God is the glorious king. This leads us to verses seven through 10, kind of the final portion of this passage. And as this passage kind of flows along and it's different things, as a procession, it flows as a procession into the temple with the Ark of the Covenant, right? That's the point of this, this passage. And we see, we get this imagery of gates and doors, right? And it repeats itself twice. These, refer, these, these gates and doors, it's referring to the gates and the doors of the temple. So picture like um, if you've seen a movie or a type of thing like um, where a king or a prince or someone's entering into a city and there's people and there's doors opening and gates are opening and they're saying, make way for the king or whatever it is. This is the picture here. They're saying, lift up your heads, you gates. Open up, make way because our king is glorious. The Ark of the Covenant would have been entering the temple. They would have said, make way for the presence of God. Open the gates. Prepare the way. Here comes the King of Glory. And it asks the question, who is this King of Glory? And the response two different times is, the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts. The King of Glory. This really kind of is a, is a mirror of the first two verses. The first two verses about the Creator God, His greatness, His power, His wonder. And we come to these last verses, and it echoes and reiterates His holiness, His greatness, and His power. We read this psalm, it says this, This is our great and glorious Creator God. Prepare the way for Him. Worship Him. Open up our hearts, open up our lives, open up the gates because the King is coming in. And so we ask ourselves this question, are we letting the King of glory come in? 
Think about your own life and imagine doors or gates on your life. Are you opening up your life and letting the king come in? Because this psalm points to the temple, points to the presence of God. What do we understand now in the New Testament? That we don't have, we don't function through temples anymore. The Ark of the Covenant is no more, right? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we, the church, those who are in Christ, we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. And it's this truth and understanding that when a person puts their faith in Jesus, when a person is brought to life spiritually, made new by the grace of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. We are a temple, a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are the temple of God. As individuals, as the church, as a body of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in us. And we can ask the question, are you opening up the doors and gates of your life? Are you inviting him in to every room, to every spot? Right? If you have someone come to your house, you may say, yeah, come on into the living room, but you're not going to take them back into your closet, right? Because it'd be like, why? I don't need to see your closets, you know? But this is what we do sometimes with God. We say, yeah, that's, I think I like this. I think I love God. That's good. You can come into like the living room of my life. And yet we can need to continue saying, God, come in, take over. I surrender myself that you dwell in all of me, that you have power and control over every part of my life. This is what surrender to God looks like. It's not compartmentalized, right? Anybody ever go fishing? I used to go fishing a lot. No? Okay, wonderful analogy that I'm making up on the spot here because you guys are like, no, I don't know fishing. You'll be able to just hang with me though, right? Okay, if you get a tackle box. Does anybody not know what a tackle box is? Okay, good. Well, a tackle box is this box, right, that you keep your tackle in. So that's, that's no. Um, and it's got all these little tiny compartments in it, and you keep these little fishing lures in there so they don't get all, like, connected and tied in knots and bunched up together. So you keep it. It's got, like, dozens and dozens of little compartments and little connections, right? You could also probably think about, like, a sewing box that has, like, different little compartments or a lunch box or a bento box or whatever, right? So you think about these compartments, right? And we treat our lives like that sometimes. We say, okay, God, you can be here, but you can't really be here. I don't want to give that up. God, you can have this, but I don't know that I fully trust you with this yet. And we look at this psalm, what do we see? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He has created it. He's inviting us into his presence, and he says, open up the gates. Let me come in and dwell. Let me be king of glory. He was saying, let him be king of glory for the Israelite people. Let him be king of glory in our church and in our lives. That we would open up and say, have your way with us. Take over. Are you surrendered to him? Entrusting to God every aspect of your life. You and I are created by God for relationship with God. And every longing that you have is for him. Think about those things that you long for. Think about those things that you crave in your heart. And they may be good things, but deep down inside, it is Christ. It is Jesus and, Christ, and him alone that satisfies our hearts, 
that brings us to a point where we say, Christ is enough. We all know that sense and that feeling of saying, hey, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to save up my money because I want to buy this thing. And when I buy it, man, I'm going to be so happy. Right? And we get there, and it's like, wow, this is really cool. And then a few days later, or a few hours later, eventually we're like, okay, what else am I going to do? What else am I going to get? Where else am I going to go? What's next? Right? This is human nature, and it is Christ alone that satisfies our hearts where we say, he is enough. Whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, Christ is enough. You might be here this morning and you'd say, I've been searching my whole life. And I've seen all along that relationships, they can be great, but they leave me empty. Money, it can be great, it can open up great doors, but it leaves me empty. Stuff leaves me empty. Experiences are great, and yet they end up leaving me empty and wanting more. It's because you were created for something more. You were created for something better, someone better. You were created for relationship with God. Because you and I have an internal, built-in desire, put there by God. We have a desire to know him, to love him, to worship him, to be near to him. But we know, it's what I've said this morning already, there's a problem in all of that. The problem is us. The problem is that we are sinful people. We have rebelled against God. We've said, God, you're awesome, you're amazing, and yet we've said, forget you, I'm going to do things my own way. This is the rebellion of our hearts that happens. This is our sin. What do we do with that? Because it leaves us at a point where we say, if we were to hear the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, we have to say, I can't. I can't do it. I can't get into God's presence on my own. And we talk about the gospel and our identity we find in Christ, and the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is, that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless and perfect life. He lived with clean hands and a pure heart. He lived his whole life to bring glory to God the Father. And Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross and died because we deserve punishment. We deserve judgment from God because of our sin. Because of our rebellion, we deserve to be cut off from him forever. And yet Jesus stood in our place put himself, went on the cross willingly to say, I will die. I will take the punishment of people upon myself. He didn't deserve it. Yet Jesus took that upon himself and he died, taking our sin upon himself and rose from the dead. He has fully conquered death. He has fully conquered sin. And you and I, when we recognize our, the depth of our sinfulness, we recognize there is nothing we can do to get to God. There is nothing we can do that will satisfy our hearts fully. The call to us is to say, turn to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Turn away from your sin. Repent of your sinful nature. Acknowledge and recognize, I have been doing things my own way. I have been trying to run my own life. And I give up my life. I surrender my life to Jesus as the only way to know God. And we put our faith, put our belief in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the only one who can bring us into the presence of God. And in that moment, in that surrender, we are made new. We are transformed. We are no longer seen by God as sinful. We are seen by God as righteous, as pure, as able to enter the presence of God. And this should humble us. 
This should bring us to the point of just extreme gratitude and gratefulness because of the grace of God. And God forgives us and God makes us new and God says, now glorify me in your life. Honor me in your words, in your actions. Live with, a clean, with clean hands and a pure heart because it's been done for you. That we can find our identity in Jesus. This is good news, right? If we try to find our identity in ourselves, we're either going to be prideful or we're going to live with despair. But we can say, you know what? I can't. But Jesus, he's done everything. He is pure. He is holy. He has made a way that I can know God. This is the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and where we find our identity. And it impacts every decision we make. It impacts every moment of our lives. Because when we forget that, we live in fear. We say, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to make it happen. I can't. But when we recognize and remember what Jesus has done, we live saying, God, I trust you. Everything I have comes from you. Everything I need is in you. This morning as we close, we're going to take a moment to just be still. Um, this psalm, if you recognize it in your Bible or if you recognize it on the screen, um, twice in this psalm it has this little word, um, and the word is selah, right? Um, and, I, you know, basically you can kind of read about it, and the best way to translate it is like a musical term, right? And it basically meant like pause for a moment, take a break, be still, think about what you've just heard, think about what you've just read. So I want, what I want to do as we close, and we're going to sing a little bit more here in a moment, you're, you're going to have a chance just to be still, to literally practice that selah, right? We have busy lives. We're always on the go. How often do we just sit and listen to God? But what I want to do is I want to read the scripture again. We're going to read Psalm 24 again, and we're going to have a time just to be still, to think about how do you need to respond to the God this morning? Maybe you need to open your hands and trust that everything belongs to him. You may need to say, I need to be generous because God owns everything that I have. Maybe you need to confess your sins and say, God, I have not lived with clean hands and a pure heart. And Jesus, I need your holiness, your righteousness to cover me, to make me new. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you need to say, let the king of glory come in that you've been limiting him to certain parts of your life but not surrendering all. Maybe today you need to say, Jesus, would you come in? Would you take over? Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. As I've clearly described the gospel, that we are broken and sinful, separated from God, and yet Jesus, because of what he has done, brings us into the presence of God. And this morning you may need to say, I recognize that I'm sinful. And I believe and put my faith that Jesus is the only way that I can be in the presence of God. The only way that I can find the answer to the deepest longing of our heart, which is to know God. Let's read this passage together again. And we'll have just a few moments to be still and respond. And then we'll sing together. So listen as we read. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation.' 
Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory.